the visitation of the Magi has always been one of the more fascinating and memorable stories of the Christmas season. From my wondering as a child at the seemingly exotic nature of these travelers, these travelers from the East, to the fabulous annual productions of a mall and the night visitors that I had the privilege of seeing when I was studying music as an undergraduate, there is something about the Magi that captures our imagination. Part of their mystery is their origins. Were they Persian priests of Zoroaster, Babylonians, Arabians, Jewish leaders of the diaspora from maybe contemporary Yemen, or, or some combination of all of these? Were there three, or were there more? A plethora of traditions arose around and about them, it seems, from very early Christian times. The Eastern Church they numbered at least a dozen in some depictions. And tales of their later martyrdom for Christ spawned relics into the Middle Ages. But Matthew, the only canonical gospel who records their visitation, gives us precious little to go on. The author himself may have had his Jewish audience in mind as the story in some ways parallels the tale of King Balak and the prophet Balak in the Torah, complete with a messianic star. Matthew may also intend to show us the revelation of Jesus to the Gentiles. But our fascination still with the Magi amounts to so much more than that. Who are these mystical figures and why does their story speak to us? Now, part of my fascination with them is their deft handling of Herod, the crafty Judean politician, son of an appointee of Julius Caesar, by the way. Herod clawed his way to kingship by aligning himself with the Roman occupation. He reconquered his own homeland with Roman aid, and then to lend legitimacy to his rule, he married a Hasmonean princess. Hasmonean dynasty, by the way, had its fame rooted in the celebrated Jewish Maccabean revolts of centuries past. Herod the Great's success, and he became known as Herod the Great, involved his building projects in Judea, which were more than impressive, including building on the Temple Mount itself. But that was matched only by his ruthlessness. It is during Christmas tide, after all, that we remember his slaughter of the innocent children in Bethlehem in an effort to protect his throne from the prophesied Messiah. Herod's carefully crafted and paid for rule is trembling with fear when word of a new king's birth, the Messiah's birth even, is whispered into his ear. These strangers from the east come looking for him. But the wise men catch the scent of Herod's fearful scheming through their observation and dreams. They are whole, it seems, in their engagement with the universe and the sacred. 
holy mystics, rulers even of a different order than the unholy, violent, divisive, and soul-rending political machinations that make up Herod and his ilk. The Magi are sacred watchers of signs in nature and in the solitude of sleep. They are faithful stewards of ancient wisdom buried in the very foundations of history and the human experience. Wisdom that speaks of our need for a savior of God to come among us to restore us to wholeness. Recently I had the privilege of one of those all-too-rare pastoral conversations with a stranger, a seeker from the wider community. For years, she has struggled mightily with memories of a profoundly traumatic childhood, trauma that led almost inevitably to struggles with addiction and with the law. She had done so many things right more recently. Residential programs, therapy, psychiatric care, engaging recovery groups to address her compensating addiction, grappling with various diagnoses, some wrong, some right, struggling with how medication made things better and made things worse. She had taken every step you can imagine to find and fight for her own healing. But still a day would not go by that she didn't re-engage with those awful memories of her youth. Sometimes they would be triggered unexpectedly by things that would seem to most of us innocuous. She visited me and wondered aloud through tears simply why she couldn't get over the traumas of her past. Her prayer life is vibrant. She continually offers thanks to God for every daily blessing. She knows scripture well. She places high expectations on herself to let go of anger and to embrace forgiveness towards those who harmed her. She struggles faithfully to keep her family together. So why doesn't God just fix things inside her? And punish the guilty as a reward for her fidelity. Why can't she just be healed so that she can be a better help to her family and her friends? It was these questions that were worthy, I realized, of the Christ child and the long, uncertain journey of the Magi. That the Magi and Jesus would experience a world that was as brutal in some ways as hers is a given. The Magi had to face Herod, so did the Holy Family. Neither of them, you will recall, fixed the situation politically or saw Herod brought to justice. The Magi simply evade Herod on the way home. The innocents of Bethlehem will be killed. John the Baptist will be beheaded, and Jesus will die on the cross in part because of the machinations of one of Herod the Great's sons and heir. Imagine for a moment the very different and somehow more familiar story we would have had the Magi remained with Jesus and conspired with him against Herod. 
The political messiah everyone, even Herod himself, expected would be just another dynasty battling for power. Perhaps with an eastern alliance opposed to Herod's Roman one. So the Nazarene political family would possibly rise and fall in history like the Hasmoneans, the Herodians, or the Caesars. One of our alternate Gospels today talk of Joseph and Mary fleeing to Egypt to protect the infant Jesus from Herod's murderous designs for a time. Exile, as Annette has emphasized recently, is an inevitable and unfixable part of the human condition. One that Jeremiah speaks to again today. And that exile has many forms, political, social, relational, familial, and even that awful internal divorce between our heads and hearts, between our inner private and our outer public lives. And then there's the cross that holds it all up for redemption, which is hinted at to Mary even while her firstborn, destined to be baptized the Son of God, still grows in her womb. What if, I asked this stranger who became no longer a stranger in my office, your struggle is a struggle we all share, one that Christ shares with you. Sure, her memories and journey seem harsher than most, but our most holy journey in common is the struggle that we all have with our woundedness. What if Jesus isn't on the outside waiting to fix things, but in the very midst of your struggle with those traumatic memories, standing with you in those awful moments, sharing those wounds with you? found myself offering advice I was once given by a wise counselor in a broken moment. To remember and to suffer is as human as it gets. To struggle with woundedness is not so much a fixable reality or one that we have to get over, but one that has to be lived into faithfully. And it's a journey every bit as important as following the star in the east. Our wounds are a reality into which we invite Jesus for redemption, not one we try to fix so that we can be worthy of meeting him. But to struggle with forgiveness itself is a process, not simply a switch we throw in our heads. To weep over difficult memories is simply to weep a most human and Christian vocation. And then to give thanks is to offer this precious gift of Christ in our midst, the very best we have to offer. And then when we remembered her children, some of whom are now successfully engaging adulthood, she brightened considerably. 
Despite her own struggles, she had already been a help to them and a loving support in ways that she might not even be able to imagine. And then there were those to whom she witnessed every day walking alongside her in recovery. Her ministry in grace had already begun and had been unfolding for a long time. She didn't need to wait until she was completely healed or perfect, or even just until tomorrow. The life of Christ had already begun unfolding in her. Like the exile's return in Jeremiah's lesson today, her journey home was palpable. It was ongoing, and it will be ultimately joyous, even if, like the returning lame and blind, she, like all of us, and even like our beloved Christ himself, still bears the wounds of this life. It is this wisdom, perhaps, that the Magi knew as they journeyed great distances, asking questions, following uncertain paths, knowing their own brokenness and limitations, learning and relearning the brokenness of the world, and yet at long last kneeling and worshiping the Christ child and offering their greatest gifts to him in homage. Gifts to this divinity born vulnerable and human, a child among us, who is birthed into all our wounded places, who shares our scars and sorrows and even our death, and yet knits a broken cosmos back together. Who is driven into exile himself and yet invites us on the long journey home from all of our wounding exiles, from self, from community, and from God who is worshipped by strangers, sometimes more faithfully, it seems, than the recognized faithful among us. He is revealed as the savior of all, as the darkness turns to light, and the star in the east ascends in our hearts. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.